Welcome to hey. another. Oh, <laughs> welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. Uh, we have a special, non-special guest host. Not you, guest. I'm special for sure. Special, right? I for think sure. It, I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> but it's a guest host, real host, uh, Catherine Rubino uh, here, also from Above the Law, joining us, which is uh joining us from maternity leave congratulations from, live from maternity leave congratulations uh, doesn't really end uh yes thank you so much since i've last spoken on the podcast i've had a child okay uh, yeah baby uh francesca larue named after her grandfather and great-grandmother so frankie larue is what we're calling her like we're southerners double naming it okay. the whole way love that for us and yeah, that's been most of what I've done since last I've been on the podcast is giving birth and now just feeding this baby and keeping her alive. Right. Oh, by the way, I feel as though this constitutes small oh, talk. Oh, definitely. It's, okay. it's big small talk, if anything. Right. Big, big, yeah. All right. Small so talk. I forgot that that's what I used to do. Oh, the so, okay. All right. Small so, talk. So, yeah, so uh, we want to be clear that we are not the sort of people who make folks not have maternity leave and go immediately <laughs> back to work. Uh, this is not work. Uh, this is very much a <laughs> this guest. This is play. <laughs> this is guest hosting situation. Uh, unfortunately, Chris was traveling uh, today and there was a screw up. Now, well, he was traveling and there was a screw up and he had to travel while we were supposed to record. Yeah. And he was desperately trying to work his way into a quiet place to do it. And we just decided this was easier to yes. uh, bring back. Although, Catherine. I mean, you know, listen, fair warning to all guests. Or it, there is a distinct possibility you hear babies cry okay. or not babies, like a baby. You're There's right, only okay. one in my house at the moment. But uh, yes, we have fed her. But, you know, you never know. She could she could poop herself at any time i swear this baby I mean, so could i so <laughs> fair fair this baby likes nothing more than pooping into a fresh diaper if yes. it has been on her for less than two minutes Oof. that is that is the prime pooping moment so that's a distinct possibility okay all right well we, we'll, we'll we'll deal with it as needed so uh we have a few topics to discuss today i imagine we do okay i don't know what they are though that is that, that, that is, is the that downside. Is the downside. I am not prepared in the way that I would normally be prepared to spout off about big law. And the have Supreme you been Court. following legal news generally, even, or have you been taking your leave as as real leave and unplugged from this horror hellscape <laughs> of an industry? Uh, I, I think I've largely unplugged, but it's not like a deliberate. Oh, I refuse to pay attention. Certainly, like I'm only two and a half weeks postpartum uh, at the moment, and uh, certainly the first week to ten days is just like I didn't even know where my phone was at times. Not like I was trying to unplug, but like I was keeping a person alive. Okay, that that was all I had the capacity to to do and to care about. Where I was like, oh, I suppose I should know what's happening in the world. Like I don't like the debt ceiling question mark. I don't know, like. All these things are distinct possibilities out there that I've not been fair enough. Tracking. Well, we'll we'll see what we'll see how this goes. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I, I still have the witty repartee aspect of the co-hosting job on lockdown. I suppose. 
Okay. You know, I could leave you. Okay. And just leave <laughs> the dead air hanging at any given moment. I will, I will exercise that right if you give me too much lip over there. Mm. Okay. <laughs> that concludes our small talk small section. Talk. Yeah, let's, uh, so let's talk. We're going to talk Big Law first. Uh, Love the, it. What's going on in Big Law? It's the, summer, so is it summertime related? Summer Associates? Ooh, did a Summer Associate jump in the river again? We have not gotten any Summer Associate stories yet. I don't think summer classes have really started yet. I guess it's still May. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Usually, I guess they start right around now. So yeah. you're probably having your welcoming parties. Man, being a Summer Associate was fantastic. True. Can, we can just take a moment and reminisce and be like, hey, that was a great summer that we ha- each of us had. It was. By the way, if you are a Summer Associate listening to this, be sure to keep us up to date if anything crazy happens while you're there. If you're not a Summer Associate, obviously snitch on if something happens in the summer <laughs> Yeah, and program. the thing that I re- referred to was a historical thing that happened. It was like one of the top mm-hmm. ATL stories of all time, which is when a summer associate jumped into the Hudson River. Yes. That's a thing that really happened. Yeah, from my from my old firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah jumped into the river. Yeah. That, that's a thing that happened. I was not there at the time. But. <laughs> and I think still got an offer at the firm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually turned in the turned up in the news years later having tackled a purse snatcher or something like that. Yeah, yeah just so, listen, this is this is fantastic stuff. Love anyway. to see it. But the point is, uh, things happen for summer associate classes and we love to hear about it at about e- the law. Exactly. All right. But that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is the decision by Skadden uh, announced that they are going to go to a four day work week. Uh, so they had been at what? Well, so well, let me rephrase. Okay. It's always weird to say work week because we don't really mean work week. They're in lawyers. Office. They're lawyers. They work seven days a week. But in the office, they're going to be required to be in the office for four days. They had a more flexible system, uh, much like a lot of people did. Uh, now they are moving to a mandatory four days. So a Monday through Thursday in the office all the time system. I don't love it. Uh, no. I don't love it. Listen, I, I think that I- You know I, who else doesn't love it? Associates. You know, associates, yes. Uh, they do not love it. No, uh, and I they are all they we, The chatter we've heard is that a lot of them are picking up those recruiter calls now uh, a lot it's more a good time often. to answer the, those random unlisted numbers. Which, <laughs> Since um, you're going to be in the office anyway, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're going to be there. May as well answer those calls. You know, like it- it is going to be, and well, they're not going to be there yet. This this policy takes effect in the fall, as um, and there's going to be, let's in all fairness describe it. There's going to be some times that are work from home, uh, the week between Christmas and New Year, mm-hmm. uh, Thanksgiving week. Uh, there's a system. They're going to set up a system where in August you only have to be in three weeks, and you can work out which weeks those are. It looks like. Whatever. Uh, not quite the European, we take August off kind of vibe, but you no, know. Of course not. It's an interesting policy move uh, because I feel like, you know, we talked about how there's a collective action problem in legal. Well, I don't know how much of a problem it is, but it's a collective action issue. Uh, Cravath decides what everyone's going to get paid and mm-hmm. then everyone follows on. Cravath decides what everyone's bonus is and everyone follows on. And right. it's not always Cravath, but it usually is. And everyone Cravath tries, Davis sometimes Polk, it's right, Milbank, yeah. Yeah, but somebody does something and everyone follows. This very much feels like a bold gambit out of scatting because they are saying everyone needs to come back to the office Monday through Thursday. If 
other peer firms don't follow on, that's where all of that talent is going to go. Yes, there's definitely a collective action problem. I think, though, it's still Skadden. You're still there's still going to be folks for whom Skadden is their best option. Mm-hmm. And it's still yeah. going to always be on their resume. And I think when I certainly took my uh, full-time associateship, I very much had the attitude of, well, this is for a limited time only. Like I didn't mm-hmm. think that I was going to try to make partner at the big law firm I was at. Didn't try to make partner at that firm. was only there for a couple of years. And so knowing that it's a limited time, but knowing you have Skadden on your resume for the rest of your life might be worth it for some folks, particularly, you know, they're, Earlier in their career, they may not have the same obligations that mid-level or senior associates have that, you know, make them really value that flexibility. Uh, So I'm not sure. It certainly, I think, hurts them in the lateral market. Uh, Yeah. And I think, yeah, both sides of the lateral market. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's going to be harder to pull somebody in who already is working at a place. And easier to pull out. And it's going to be a lot easier to pull people out because, you know, a Skadden... You, you talk about the Skadden resume, having a Skadden line item on a resume uh, makes for a, an appealing candidate. Easy to get them to their next job, yeah. which doesn't require them being in the office four days a week. I think it is bold, too, for Skadden because four doesn't seem... I, I, I see a move to three and I not don't necessarily support it, but if firms are requiring three days in the office, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pitch a fit over that. That seems to me where the market is headed. Mm-hmm. That seems like a wild advantage over the pre COVID status quo, which was probably six days in the office. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that three days is probably where the balance lies Four, see the difference between three and four is stark. Yeah. Well, and it also, with three, if you don't create a system of mandatory days where you say it has to be these set days and only these three days, you have the option of having a flexible rotating workforce right. where you can Firms do some can reap the benefit of hoteling. Yeah. yeah, and you can actually save overhead by mm-hmm. reducing footprint uh, and on office footprint. That that has advantages. Uh, it, when when you Make everybody come in for four days and say what those four days are. You you get none of the advantages of having a work from home world with all of the disadvantages of disgruntled employees. And it's not just associates either. Well, it we know it's associates. We have also heard some unconfirmed rumors that this was brought up for a partner vote and it failed. Uh, so this was imposed over the partners, or at least the majority of partners' objections. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're probably thinking about it from a couple of different vectors. Mm -hmm. First of all, them personally not wanting to be in the office a mandated four days, but there's also the knowing that they want the best talent. They want the Mm -hmm. talent that, that knows that other firms are only requiring three days or two days Mm -hmm. and that this is going to make them look bad vis-a-vis their peers. Yeah. Or even four days that are flexible. Like there are people in this world who would rather work Tuesday through Friday, or would rather work Monday, Tuesday, then Thursday, Friday, and have Wednesday sure, off. Like- sure, Yes, I definitely think the lack of flexibility, particularly when you're at a number like four, right? Four means that everybody's going to overlap the majority of the time, no matter what. So might as well make it flexible. Yeah. You could only get that as an advantage. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. 
Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, so let's talk about the next issue, uh, the the never-ending saga of Clarence Thomas and ethics. Uh, had a few new developments this last week. I'm not surprised, frankly, that there were more developments uh, in the two weeks that I was not paying attention to the news because they were developments when I was paying attention to the news on right. a nearly daily basis and almost impossible to keep track of kind of pace, which I query if it's better or worse for the public at large, you know, those of us in the legal media, those of us who are lawyers, obviously care more about the Supreme Court and Supreme Court ethics. But I think that this is definitely the story that has sort of jumped jumped the rail and has become a full-time mainstream story. And I don't know if the more developments are hurting or or hel- or helping it take on a life of its own. Yeah, so folks. so a couple of issues. Uh, the first one, I guess, I guess let's start with this because it has a it's a good transition from big law, which is that Harlan Crow, who is of course Clarence Thomas's super sugar daddy, super awesome sugar daddy, best friend forever. Uh, <laughs> he has been. <laughs> I like that <laughs> kind of. <laughs> he has been asked for documents by the Senate Judiciary Committee. He wrote a response letter saying that he is not going to do that. Uh, his response letter is penned by Gibson Dunn. Uh, and so Gibson, he's bringing in the big guns right there. Big law, big guns. And uh, and basically what Gibson Dunn says is uh, they've decided to advise their client to commit a t- uh, contempt. Uh, <laughs> it, not, not exactly, but they... They are going to take, at least they've advised him to take his chances that contempt is going to happen. Uh, in the, They made the argument that they don't believe there's any legislative purpose to seeking documents from him. Their argument being that the Judiciary Committee and the Senate can't impose any ethical rules on the Supreme Court, so there's no reason why they should be inquiring into Supreme Court ethics. Wow. Uh, this is a take. This is bold, given that it's not really up to a random witness to decide where the separation of powers is. Right, right, right. Uh, But also, it is problematic because the actual laws at issue here are laws that the legislature has passed and do apply to the Supreme Court already. Sure, sure. This is not about imposing a new judicial Code of ethics. Code of ethics. Right. This, this is, is trying to see whether or not the existing code of ethics has been violated. Right. And there are there are two laws implicated here that already exist that the Supreme Court has already recognized that they're bound by mm-hmm. for years. Generations. Yeah. Uh, generations I don't know about generations, but for of 40 years. Uh, uh, generations of the court. 
like generations so you, of court. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, so for for a long time, they've recognized that the law requiring public disclosure of these sorts of transactions is required of all government officials, not just judges, but the judges are covered by that. And everyone agrees that is the law that we already know Clarence Thomas failed to comply with by not reporting all of this mm-hmm. income that he was getting. Now, on top of that, we also learned, as we've discussed over the course of this whole thing, that Thomas was called out by the judicial conference for this in 2012. So he was already on notice that this was a problem. But it is about these disclosure laws. And those disclosure laws are legislative and everyone agrees they are. So there's not really a separation of powers argument to be had here. Sure, sure. Gibson Dunn's letter is... uh, Not not the big law firepower uh, that you might think. Look, I I mean, look, we're particularly snarky about the quality of big law work product, but it is not just us. Uh, There were other lawyers and law professors who responded to this letter with, I hope that the Gibson Dunn associates who worked on this are properly ashamed of themselves. <laughs> uh, another another tweet from a man that's got a sting from a legal luminary was, yeah, this is very wrong. It, it was an embarrassing letter. The citations in it made no sense. They didn't even reference the two laws that are actually at issue here. This is all uh, yeah. wild, too, because, you know, on, on my other podcast, The Jabot, I've talked to folks who have cases that they know are of of extreme public interest, right? And this is one of those instances where you have to know if you're Gibson Dunn, that this letter is going to be analyzed, dissected for yeah. by a lot by a lot of smart legal minds on your side, against your side. You have to know that going in when you're composing the letter and to not dot your I's, cross your T's go in and make sure it's it can withstand the scrutiny that you know it's going to get feels bad. Yeah. Feels like feels like you want to use like a, a bad words to describe it. <laughs> yeah. It 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 was not great. And it got a appropriate rebuke from the judiciary committee in a response letter. Yeah, but this is this is the latest update on on that front uh on the crow front specifically. Uh we also had Chief Justice Roberts received an award from the ALI for, I don't know, I can't really think of any accomplishment that deserved that award, but he's gotten this award despite the fact that he's lorded over the decline of the federal judiciary's standing in this country to the point where it's at a historic low. It's, it, that is, it is wild. It yeah. is wild to have watched, and, and just in terms of the amount of time that I've been a lawyer, watching the reputation of the court just tank. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's wild. And, and listen, like, I remember Bush v. Gore, which did not seem like a highlight of the Supreme Court. Yeah. And that seems, we are looking up at Bush v. Gore at this point. Yeah, right. And uh, it, anyway, so at this event, Roberts made some remarks about Supreme Court ethics and how oh. he, yeah, he is committed, he says. Great. I to, love, what's his plan, Joe? To the highest standard of ethics for I, the Supreme I, Court. I think that's wonderful. What's his plan, Joe? Well, he has a secret plan that he's not going to tell us. Uh, He says they're still discussing uh, a lot of things they can do, quote unquote. So do you think, I don't know, he's, the Chief Justice has taken a very closed approach to ethics and the light of this scandal. But I have to wonder if behind closed doors, what is actually going on? 
you can't imagine there ha- that he's happy with Clarence Thomas and and because for, no. you have to imagine this this he's personally disappointed in Thomas if if for no other reason than calling undue attention to the court at a time when the attention is not doing any favors to the to the reputation of the court. No, he's uh so he says that he is committed we are continuing to look at things we can do to give practical effect to that commitment, and I am confident there are ways to do that that are consistent with our status as an independent branch of government under the Constitution's separation of powers. That is some double speak there. That is, please don't ask me about my secret plan to fight inflation yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So this, this also is par for the course. So we we had put aside the Supreme Court. We had that instance a few years ago where a bunch of lower level courts were dinged for failure to recuse over con- clear conflicts of interest. Yeah. And his response Mostly to that- Mostly stock, as I recall. What? Mostly stock ownership. A lot, lots of it's stock ownerships. Uh, and his response to that, right? we also had, oh yeah, it's also fair that we had the kind of earth- groundbreaking revelations about years of workplace harassment in federal courts mm, that no one also did nothing about. about. Well, no, that's not true. Uh, if a judge retires, then that just ends all the investigations. Right. But, but that, that's not re- That's neither here nor there that, Hey, sure. it's about the, sure. it's about the judiciary's inability to do it, deal with it. And it's years of covering it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in response to those, Roberts put out a report saying basically scolding anyone for how dare you question the sanctity of the judiciary and then offering that he might run a webinar. Uh, (laughs) So when, when I hear that he's committed to doing things here, I feel like we're, we're staring down another webinar. Yeah. At best, at absolute best. I have to wonder how history is going to look at this time period of the Supreme court. Maybe maybe it's just hopeful thinking that there will be some consequences that history will will dole them out even if we can't in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have to think that the way that we remember Chief Justice John Roberts is not going to be kind. Yeah, it is. In, separate and apart from his jurisprudence, which I have massive problems with. Yeah, separate is- and apart from actually penning some of the worst decisions in Supreme Court history. Separate and apart from all that, just looking at how he's run the court is not going to look great. Yeah, it. It's not been a good run, uh, and so if you are the sort of person who's been sitting around thinking, well. This Clarence Thomas thing, somebody's going to deal with that uh, responsibly. That is not uh, what's apparently in the offing. All right, so there were a couple of big cases last week. Chris was really our person on the Clean Water Act case. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's obviously not here, so let's push that aside. The other big case that that got a lot of media attention. Takings. What? Takings. Was a takings case. Uh, Much to Ellie Mistal's delight, uh, (laughs) for those who've been around for a long time, he's a big takings fan. Uh, This was a case out of Minnesota about a, you know, quite the sympathetic plaintiff, you know, an old old grandmother, she, African-American, she had her condo seized by the local authorities and sold so that it could satisfy her missed tax payment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the end, they sold it for more than the tax payment was worth, and the local government felt that it could pocket that difference. Well, that doesn't seem great. 
So, right, on the surface, that doesn't seem particularly great. If you have a $15,000 outstanding tax bill and they sell your place for forty grand, they don't get to keep the extra twenty-five grand. That just seems accurate. Sure. That is the, ultimately what the Supreme Court ruled. That said, a lot of the coverage around this has been kind of superficial, and it violates one of the rules that I think is very valuable, uh, and I know Jay Willis wrote a thing recently about this, that, about ways in which the media could better cover the Supreme Court. And one of those issues was take a look at the interests of the people arguing those cases and paying for those cases. In this instance, the case was being brought by the same right-wing organization who won that Clean Water Act case, actually. Uh, and the reason... Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And the, the reason was that takings is a very important part especially in the case of property taxes and stuff like that, a very important part of an overarching mission to weaken government, declare property so sanctified that regulations can't apply to it. In this instance, we also have kind of a, you know, a factually janky situation where it wasn't like the county took away her home. The county. She I thought. Lived, I thought. It, I thought it was. No, she lived elsewhere. Uh, this was. This so, was a property no, she no, no longer. Not lived a homestead in. issue. No, she didn't live here. She had abandoned it and stopped paying her taxes. Abandoned the property? Yeah. So Less sympathetic. Yeah. So th this, that was the situation. The argument that the county made is that they pocket the difference because they give you every opportunity to pay your tax bill. And if you aren't going to do it and the county has to go to the trouble of being your real estate agent, the disincentive to bringing it to that point is if you force us to do that, we're keeping the balance. Their argument was this is a very reasonable way to make people pay their taxes without mm. forcing the county to do it for them, which is not an insane argument. I, I think it is wrong. I actually agree with the Supreme Court's decision, decision. as it is. But that's not a crazy argument. Uh, that is that as a regime that makes some sense for how to get there. And there's a non-zero argument that would the county have taken this woman's home? As opposed to her abandoned uh, second property. property. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, I don't maybe, know. Maybe not. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But here's the thing. If there's anyone in the world who got their real home seized this way, their name probably would have been on this case. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that they, they found this. This is the best possible case that the Pacific Legal Foundation could find for this. And it is an abandoned second property because I just think that local governments probably wouldn't pull the trigger on kicking somebody out of a right, out of they their have home. to be reelected too, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's interesting, and I, I think that like sort of the playing fast and loose with these Supreme Court cases that. Supreme Court cases obviously are more important than the individual facts that give rise to them, right? They have like this presidential value, which is incredibly important. But I, I also am interested in the parallels between this case and that football game prayer okay. case, because that was another case where even in the majority's decision, the recitation of facts was wildly different than the original record mm. uh, reflected. And I think it's interesting that we are increasingly comfortable as a society of softly massaging the facts to get the results that we want, as opposed to living with these difficult facts. I mean, think about it. In law school, you always learn about the, the Skokie KKK case, right? And that's not a sympathetic case, right? You're like, yeah. oh, man, the KKK is terrible, but you got to, you know, but First Amendment requires terrible decisions like this or whatever, you know, and, and there is a kind of a, a recognition of that difficult facts make still make the law. And I think that it's, we are seeing a very playing fast and loose with facts of the case in a way that I 
we should be really worried about. I mean, the one that always gets me is the the property the property class, 1L property class mm-hmm. case about Dolan versus City of Tigard. I, I, that was the one that always did it to me because I remember reading that case in class and the description of the, you know, the beautiful area that they were going to put a bike path along. And it actually, in fairness, it is more beautiful now than it used to be. But as someone who was from that town, right. I was like, this isn't accurate at all as I read the <laughs> uh, read that case. But uh, aside from that, the other aspect of this case that I thought was interesting is uh, it's another in the there's been a lot of dragging of Neil Katyal over um, mm. over some of these cases. And so Katyal represented Minnesota in this case, which was the government involved. And a lot of people, especially on the left, have been dragging him for represent trying to take away grandma's houses and stuff like that, which one put us, you know, it's important to note who was on the other side of this case. And maybe that right. The enemy of my enemy. Maybe that's why a democratically democratic party aligned lawyer might be very interested in representing a state government in defending its ability to execute its own tax laws. Even if the facts of the case seem a little less than yeah, this could, this could have gone terribly awry for the functional administration of local governments. Yeah. I mean, it would have been wild to go off the rails, but then again, we've seen other cases go further off the rails. I wouldn't be betting on it. (laughs) So yeah. So this was, there, there was good reason for that. And then mm-hmm. a lot of people also were mocking that he made a lot of arguments about feudal history and whether or not the Duke of Gloucester could seize people's property. And all I could think about that was, yeah, the, that, that's the wrong takeaway. Uh, you know, I saw some folks on social media dragging that. And all I could think was, no, that's not the takeaway. Know take- your audience, first of all. Yeah, like- the takeaway is he's, he's adapting to the audience. Yeah. The Supreme Court made very clear over the last year that that's what they care about is whether or not somebody in England did this in the 1300s. So he pointed out that that's how it worked. And their response was literally, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the takeaway. And, and Katyal has, has is sort of famous for crafting arguments for specific justices during oral arguments yeah. as well. Like he's, he's specifically called out. He's like, this is for you, Thomas. And yeah, he's, that, he's yeah. gone out of his way to point out with like, this aligns with your philosophy. And if you don't agree with this argument, you have a real consistency problem, which I also think is important to point out. Mm hmm. Right, because I don't think that the conservative justices are particularly conser- consistent between decisions, let alone within their own decisions. So I think that it's important to point it out. So I mean, the, the takeaway, the real takeaway of this, when Gorsuch, for instance, in the oral argument was like, I don't see what this has to do with it. It's like the real takeaway was these folks talked about ancient history being the most important aspect of law right up until it was about literally anything other than women's reproductive rights and guns. Yeah, yeah it's like, uh, oh, yeah, the 1600s are super relevant when you're trying to take away my rights. But yeah. if you're but if you have want to let local governments execute their own tax laws. Oh, easy there, cowboy. Yeah. Why are you talking about ancient history? And yeah. you can't you literally can't have it both ways. And the Supreme Court is about to have it has it both ways. And we should be calling that out. And that sh- that should be the thing that really pisses people off. I feel like I've done what's weird about this case is I've spent a whole lot of time and effort defending a position that I don't actually think is right. <laughs> That's the weird thing. I, I, I do think that it is a violation of the Constitution to take more than the government owed. is owed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I'm defending this other position, but all, all I'm saying is it's not 
a wild position. It is it is wrong, but it is not as far off the rails. Yeah, as people and I, thought. I think that your advice to kind of look at who's on the other side of the V is incredibly relevant before any any ideal ideology gets pissed off. Be like, yeah. look, look who's look who's on the other side, because I promise you, they're more wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's uh, close things up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for joining us, guest host. Thanks for having me. And um, Frankie LaRue thanks it, for having her in the background. Aw, yeah, well, barely heard her. And that has nothing to do with our fantastic editing, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, you should subscribe to the show so you get more episodes when they come out. You should be leaving reviews, stars, write some things. It always helps. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter. She's at uh, Catherine One, the numeral one. Uh, the Above the Law is at ATL blog. I'm also Joe Patrice at Blue Sky. Uh, not that I've really too in-depth there yet, it but is. I'm trying. It starts small. Starts well. I'm trying. You should be reading Above the Law so you get these and more sto- and other stories as they come out. And, you know, read them, share them, tell people about them. You know, it's always great. You should be listening to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. You can also listen to the Jabot, Catherine's other pro, uh, podcast. You can listen to I'm a Guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, where we talk about legal tech every week. And uh, that's it. Thanks. Peace. Bye. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.